Make of my moment is a conversation about leadership, entrepreneurship, and personal development. My guest today is Michael Ipoki. Mike is the Managing Director, CEO of Africa Context Advisory Partners Limited, an Africa-focused business firm that provides business advisory services in telecoms, ICT, market entry, and policy regulatory solutions to companies, leaders, prospective investors, and governments across the continent. Mike, who was a member of the board of the Nigerian Economic Summit Group, MTN Liberia, MTN Ghana, and MTN Nigeria, now sits on several other boards as a non-executive director including Unilever Nigeria Limited, iFitness Center Limited, and Callphone Limited. A lawyer by training, Mike was called to the Nigerian bar in 1991. His forte is regulatory framework in African markets, enterprise commercial dominance, and smooth execution of operational priorities in emerging markets. He's renowned for leading and growing telecom businesses in the largest economies in Africa. In 2011, Mike was appointed as the Managing Director, CEO of MTN Ghana, where he led the introduction of the mobile money business as a future strategic differentiator, which consolidated MTN Ghana's leadership position in the market. Today, MTN Ghana controls 95% of the mobile money market value, which has cemented her hold on the core voice and data business with over 60% market share. Mike was also the Managing Director, CEO of MTN Nigeria. Within a year of his appointment, he drove revenues to 4 billion dollars per annum and led the increase of MTN's customers to 60 million unique subscribers. Nigeria is one of the 21 countries MTN operates in, but while he was at the helms of affairs, he led MTN Nigeria to contribute 45% of the group's EBITDA in 2014. Mike who mentors CEOs and other executives, works with holding companies, private equity firms, and investors seeking to establish growth businesses in West Africa. His first degree is from River State University of Science and Technology, Port Harcourt, Nigeria. He has attended executive training and general management programs at the Lagos Business School. INSEAD, London Business School, and Harvard Business School. Mike has participated in the International Coaching Federation Mentoring Program by the Neuro Leadership Institute, the UK. Mike is married and enjoys the game of golf.
So welcome to Make Omar Moments with Monehi, and I'd like to welcome our guest today, uh, Michael Ipoki. Uh, so welcome, Mike. Thank you, Aki. Thank you, and thanks for having me over. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Uh, I'd like to ask, uh, who is Mike Ipoki? Okay, Michael Ipoki is a husband, is a father, is an ICT professional, is a business advisor, is a mentor. Um, he likes music, and he enjoys playing golf. How's that? Very good, very good. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for that introduction, Mike. Uh, you were the managing director, CEO of MTN in Ghana, uh, and later the managing director, CEO of MTN in Nigeria. Uh, what do you think uh, is the greatest challenge that leaders face while leading and managing businesses uh, in sub-Sahara Africa? And what do you think uh, the solution or solutions are? Okay, um, thank you for that. Um, I think the biggest challenge, if I step back a bit, um, a lot of businesses in sub-Saharan Africa, especially the large businesses, um, understand the fundamentals of their business. They understand strategy, they understand execution, they understand how to harness the resources of the business to deliver value. The biggest challenge that they face, which perhaps they don't understand well enough, is the external environment. The external environment includes, you know, regulators, government, um, external stakeholders, and just understanding the, the environment um, in which they are operating. Um, and I think in sub-Saharan Africa, you need to put it in context. Um, this is a continent that has its own fair share of economic challenges, um, sharp income inequalities. So what you find out is that, um, and of course, unstable policy and regulatory environments. So what you find out is if you're a large business operating in these markets, there are blind sides. There are things that you may not be able to manage effectively. Um, you may not be able to see those things and project and plan appropriately. So I think the biggest risk to businesses, especially large businesses in sub-Saharan Africa, is not the commercial opportunities in themselves. It's more about the external environment and managing the dynamism or, 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 or likewise of, of the environment. So what do I think needs to be done? I think the reality is, you know, businesses just need to be almost as good as managing, the, almost as good as of, of managing and understanding and interpreting the external environment in the same way as they do their core business. Because the reality is, in the African market, um, one regulatory intervention can destroy your business. So it's almost as important as not just managing the core business. You need to understand the environment. You need to invest in understanding the environment. You need to train your leaders to be able to understand the external environment and to bring all that knowledge into how they can project, how they can forecast, how they can simulate future scenarios and how they can work to be able to advance them. That's, that's perhaps um, the best way to look at it in a nutshell. 
Thank you very much, uh, Mike. I think you you hit the, the nail on the head. You know, um, most businesses know what to do. Uh, most most um, 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 leaders, business leaders, uh, uh, they know their products, they know their strategy. You know, but um, but stakeholders, uh, stakeholder management uh, uh, is, is 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 a big challenge. So uh, I see you. I see you as a salesman uh, before before you became the uh, the 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 CEO of MTN in Ghana. You were the Director of Sales uh, for M10 in Nigeria. Um, I think before then we were also the General Manager for Sales and Distribution. Uh, for, 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 from public information, uh, when you returned to Nigeria as the as the MDCU uh, of MTN in Nigeria, you grew the business to become the largest um, telecom business in Africa. In fact, the revenue at that time uh, was over uh, $4 billion uh, US dollars. Uh, our shareholders were very happy as you know, you were able to retain over 25% of that, uh, like $1.2 uh, million, dollars, uh, billion, dollars, sorry, uh, as, as retained as, as profit. Um, now, what you do is to handhold uh, businesses that want to dominate uh, their sectors in the sub-Saharan um, African market. Uh, uh, this is actually, you know, what we should be paying for. But hey, you're my program, so I'll, I'll ask you. In a few words, um, uh, Mike, how can new entrants become dominant players uh, in this sub-Saharan mar market that you know uh, uh, so much about? Um, I, I can think of two, two broad themes to try and address your question. Um, one is rigor, rigor. Because, I mean, obviously in management, it's obviously about having the right strategy, having the right operations, and getting the right people. But when you are dealing with um, a business in an environment, sometimes that can be quite challenging um, not just from a competitive point of view, you need to create a system where there is rigor, where you are continuously challenging the business against its core strategy, against its operations. Um, you are consistently challenging the business to deliver to the objectives that are set. You are consistently challenging the business to be the best that it can possibly be. It's a lot of rigor because sometimes it may look like you're not doing enough. And I think in those days, we used to have that challenge where the business was growing, but it always seemed like we, we had to keep working harder and harder. And I think if you want to succeed in, in markets like this, you just have to be rigorous. It's about the daily grind. What do you do every day? Um, how do you make sure you're all the dogs are on the road? How do you ensure that you're looking at the right metrics, not just a bunch of metrics, the right metrics? How do you ensure that you are delivering to those metrics? How do you ensure that you have the, the right people? Um, there's a book I read, it's been on my bookshelf for 10 years. I don't know why I haven't read it earlier on. Good to Great. And one of the things it says in Good to Great is, people are not your most important asset the right people are. So it's not having the people, it's making sure you have the right people in the right positions, delivering to the right objectives with the right market conditions. All of all that comes together. So rigor for me is a key thing. It's not just putting a big strategy and putting teams. It's about rigor. 
making sure you are delivering to that um, and just being rigorous with the daily grind and keeping your eyes on the ball. So if I had to use one big word, it would be rigor. Um, the other big word, I think, in my view, would be culture. Um, there is a certain DNA that every organization must have. And organizations are different. It doesn't matter the size of the organization. Um, there's a certain DNA. There's a certain way an organization operates. You have to find it. And you have to build that within the organization as the way of operating, the way people behave, the, the, the ethos of the organization, the, the body language of the organization. How do people behave when people are not watching? Um, so in, in my time as CEO, one of my biggest concerns was when I go to bed every night, I worry and I say, if I have staff in different parts of the country that are completely almost unsupervised because of the varied nature of the business, how am I sure that these people are doing what they should be doing at the time they should be doing it? It's so important. So that issue of culture, and it's not something you build overnight. It starts from active communication. One, one of the things that I strongly believe in is that people connect to objectives or visions that are bigger than themselves. Once you're able to paint a picture and people believe in the picture of what this organization stands for and the leaders demonstrate it in how they act, people connect. And when people connect, you are unleashing latent energies you're unleashing productivity in the organization that all comes together in a way that delivers huge value. So it's quite, it's not very tangible, but in my experience, in all my leadership positions, I have seen it work. I have seen people, great people come together in a way and deliver performance that you can hardly expect. And because they've been driven by some kind of ethos some kind of culture that is demonstrably uh, shown in the leadership. So I think if I had to summarize it to be those two keywords, rigor and the right culture. Thank you very much, uh, Mike, for that. Um, very good perspective. I, I was speaking to uh, to a friend who's an entrepreneur, you know, in Zimbabwe, and 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 I was um, and I was talking about along those lines, you know, that is the execution. Uh, it's not just it's not just about having a vision, and that is where most um, uh, most most um, entrepreneurs fail, or most businesses fail uh, in the execution. So I think that came from you uh, as 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 rigor. Uh, so we move to the next next question um, uh, very quickly. Uh, so so the, the sub-Sahara Africa is is an attractive uh, spot for uh, investors. Uh, it's generally uh, uh, untapped and essentially, and essentially uh, emerging. Uh, tried and tested solutions, uh, which are the norm in more developed economies, will turn heads and raking profits here. Uh, the risk, the risk, are however high. Uh, so also uh, are the returns. Uh, many global businesses want to play here. Uh, as a guru in this area, uh, what is the greatest barrier to entry uh, into the sub-Saharan African market, and and how? 
uh, can businesses overcome uh, such barrier? And so physical entry in terms of getting into the market is less of the issue. Um, funding is usually a challenge, but um, like we all know, um, in the world today, so long as you have a good business case, um, funding is less of an issue. Even though we know with COVID now, um, you know, investments into sub-Saharan Africa will tend to slow, at least in the immediate term. Um, what I think should be or appears to be the biggest barrier is none of those more tangible things. I think it's more about how well do you understand the market? Um, you know, it's one thing if you are looking at an investment profile. Um, you want to get into a market, you can have consultants prepare different slides and analysis and surveys um, for you. And that's fine. You know, that's fairly easy. But sometimes the realities in the market are completely different. And, and I can give a quick example. If you think about a lot of the fast-moving fast consumer goods companies that came into Africa with the expectation or with the understanding that there was a, a bulging middle class. Um, and you wonder that if you look down the line, a lot of those expectations have not come true. And the question is, how could they have based an investment decision on something that could be so easily verifiable? Because if you think about it, um, a lot of these economies today, um, a lot of what's happening today is not completely is not completely unforeseen. So why is it that they couldn't think about that? I think the, the most important thing, in my view, would be an issue of how do you understand the market. And let me give you a very quick ex practical example. Um, I don't want to call it the chain, but there's a there's a retail chain in Nigeria today um, that is a foreign-owned retail chain. I can talk about it. It's ShopRite, okay? And ShopRite is shutting down in Nigeria or beginning to think of re-evaluating. That's the word they use. And I asked my wife a very simple question. And I said, why don't you go to ShopRite to shop for the children for food? Because it's a lot more convenient convenient parking, nice facilities. Um, why do you prefer to go to a more local um, Nigerian retail chain? And she said to me, and I, she said, I asked her, are the prices the same? She said, they are relatively the same. So why don't you go to the more comfortable place? And she said to me that in the Nigerian retail shops, they sell cornflakes. So they sell both the local and the foreign. Now, some children cannot tolerate the local, some cannot tolerate the foreign. But if you go to the foreign-owned retail shops, they sell only the local. So just the understanding of the market is able to change the dynamics of how customers, you know, take advantage of or, or patronize a, a business. So I think that local market conditions are critical to success. You need to understand that. It's good to have consultants. I mean, we do work like that too, help people look at the market and adv advise on the market. But some of the things we talk about is understanding local nuances. How well do you understand that? 
how well do you understand the buying and the consumption patterns? Those things are critical. And that involves that, that means that you must actually work with the right kind of partners. You need to be engaging with the market. You need to be talking with the right kind of people. And you need to make sure that the right kind of people who have an understanding of the market are advising you. And more importantly, you need to partner with the right kind of people. A lot of foreign businesses have gone into trouble because they have the wrong local partners. So the question is, what kind of business are you doing? What is the objective of your business? Find local partners that connect, connect to the passion, that are passionate about the business, that connect to the vision and objectives of the business, not just people who can bring money, because those things matter. So I think that those, those are key things. So local market knowledge, understanding the local market conditions, working with the right local partners, having a, 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 a good grasp of local issues, not importing foreign standards, because I think that's part of the problem. Some of the multinationals bring standards in other markets. It doesn't work. Every market is unique in its own regard, and you have to understand them on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks so much for, uh, for your perspective on that. Uh, much appreciated. While you were sales director, um, we lived in the same estate, um, um, but you were always traveling. Uh, I remember, you know, um, uh, when my family and I were returning from, um, from a holiday in Cape Town, you were behind us at the check-in counter. And you mentioned, you know, that, oh, you're also going to the U.S. for, you're running a program, you know, a program in, in university, um, in Harvard University. And, you know, I want to ask you, you know, uh, uh, Mike, what um, self-development advice uh, do you have uh, for, for very busy executives? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Um, and, you know, I, I think the challenge with very busy executives is they get caught up in their own world. You know, I, I used to be in that situation too, where you are so consumed by the daily grind of the business. Um, and the reality of today's world, um, if you think about what's happening globally today, leaders in today's world have to understand what's happening globally. You must be able to connect the dots. Um, there's nothing that is happening in the world today that is happening by accident. There are trends, there are patterns, <clears throat> there are signs. And, and one of the big skills in leadership today is about sense making, being able to make sense of trends and of patterns. Um, so for example, in Nigeria, we had the NSARS movement that happened about a month ago. It's not anything new. It's happened in Arab Spring, it's happened in South Africa, it's happening in Thailand. So even in terms of the core business, the functional area that you're in, it is not enough for you to be an expert in a function because the lines in today's world are getting blurred, even across disciplines. Um, if you think about all that's going on, big data, um, business disruption, business model changes. Um, today, companies can't even recognize what they, what they really are. 
you know, if you ask a Google or a Facebook or on Amazon, they, they will be hard put to define what they really are. So more and more things are changing. COVID has also taught us a couple of things. Um, you've seen a lot of businesses pivot into things they never thought they would do because they were responding to the realities on the ground. So leaders have to be more broad-minded. And, and for that to happen, like you said, there needs to be a lot more personal development. But the challenge a lot of leaders have, which I, I used to have when, when I used to run uh, those businesses, was just making out time. How do I make out time to develop myself in these other areas? How do I make out time to understand leadership trends, um, business management trends? How do I um, understand what's happening in other global companies that are playing in my space? What are the shifts that we're seeing socially, economically, and how can that affect my business? Um, a lot of that doesn't happen because sometimes leaders are just too busy. So I think that one of the ways or a couple of ways that you can leaders can develop themselves personally um one that has worked for me quite effectively in the last couple of years where i have a bit more control over my time is looking for mentors i think um every leader should have a couple of mentors not just one um, because what you find out is just having interactions with people who have had experience in your field, um, you'll be surprised how much value you can derive from that. And sometimes, you know, there's really, even though we say the world is changing, the world is dynamic, but if you think about it, even in history, there's a lot of things that are being repeated. They just come in different forms. There are people who have walked this path before, and sometimes it's useful for you to just find some time you can call it a social call. If you have time to visit people, visit your mentor, have a discussion, share with them your thoughts about your biggest concerns and hear what they have to say. I think that's a big area. I mean, one of my mentors um, was on your program, Mr. Mutu Sumonu, who was former chairman of Shell Group of Companies in Nigeria. Um, he's an amazing gentleman and I rely on him. I take out time every now and again. It's very busy, um, but we find time to meet, and I draw a lot of insights from him. And I have a few other mentors like that. Um, regrettably, I didn't do enough of that while I was running those companies, and something that I realized that you know leaders need to do more. And um, the other thing to do is just have peer groups. There are peer groups where you have other peers in the industry at the same level as you who are operating with the same level of complexity. Um, I used to do that a lot. I still do that quite a bit, which is just talk to them. How are we, how are you man managing this issue? There are similar challenges that are cut across most industries, most times. Um, and how are you managing it? Just having groups, sessions where you can discuss with that. Um, today, there are a lot of online peer groups where you can enlist, have one or two hours to talk to, to your peers all across the world, understand what's going on, relate it to where you are, and you find out that whatever you're going through is not that unique after all. Somebody else is going through that. Um, reading books, I know sometimes may be difficult, but there are podcasts these days. 
Um, if you're a listening type, you can just put a podcast. Is that you need to be a beast of key trends. So take advantage of technology. Um, listen to podcasts uh, as much as you can. Read summaries of books. You may not be able to read everything, but get the gist of what those books are talking about. I, I think a combination of all these, because if you think about it in leadership, a lot of the learning is going to is experiential. It's not it's not going into a classroom or going into a course. It's experiential. And one of the things I've realized since the last couple of years, I find myself in situations where I have to also mentor leaders and mentor see is the fact that a lot of leaders are not prepared for the level of responsibility they are given. So they are good in a functional area and they expand into a key leadership role and they struggle. I've had a mentor of mine um, ask me once, the first meeting I had was, what does a CEO do? And I was shocked. You mean nobody told you? So I think that, you know, the discussion around mentoring is very important. A lot of organizations take it for granted. Um, leadership is the backbone of society. If you don't have good leaders in a family, it will show. In a company, it will show. In a country, it will become even very glary. So if leadership is that important, organizations need to pay a bit more attention to the quality of experiential learning that their leaders can get. I think if you put all those things together, it could be, it could help to start developing people, self-development, um, to be able to equip the leaders with the right skills, the right experience, and the right mindset to be able to manage their responsibilities and execute effectively. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much uh, for that um, response. Uh, Nigeria is in a recession officially now. It's been declared uh, uh, to be in a recession. Um, what is your view uh, in terms of the path out of the recession for, for Nigeria? What, what, what are your thoughts about that? Okay, um, let me start with a caveat. I am no economist. Um, and I do not claim to be one. Um, I didn't particularly like economics in school because it never had a direct answer. Everything was all things being equal and all that. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't particularly like it, but um, I'm no economist, but I understand enough about economic shifts and the economy to be able to comment on this. I think that like in organizations as in countries, we have challenges and we we think that there are technical challenges technical in terms of being able to look at policies or um, specific tools you can use to fix them meanwhile they may be actually adaptive challenges and adaptive challenges are dealing with deeper issues which is about what needs to shift in terms of how you approach a matter. They are deeper, they are more strategic, they are more about mindset, they are more about approach. So I, I see when I look at the Nigerian situation, I don't think it's a, a technical issue because, I mean, we have 
the Economic Advisory Council. I have a few friends there. Very intelligent, very bright people. We have the Nigerian Economic Summit Group, which I was privileged to be a member of, of the board some years ago. Um, we've got talented people all over Nigeria who have clear ideas of what to do. And all of us do. All of us have ideas. We may not be economists, but intuitively, by virtue of the fact that we have led and we have grown organizations, we have a pretty good idea what to do. So I think we have an adaptive problem, which is about how do we think? And there are two big things that worry me. The first problem I think is, we are not as a country, um, well, looking at it from a government or public management point of view, um, I don't think we have accepted the reality of where we are as a country. When I hear things like, we're the largest economy in Africa, I wonder, that is completely not correct. Because yes, you may be the largest in GDP, but the reality is if you look at GDP per capita, which relates to the economic value of every single Nigerian, we're nowhere near the largest. And, and if I look at the fact that today, 50% of Nigerians are living in severe poverty. That is a fact. That is a reality. That is a mindset. You know, that is an issue that requires a different kind of mindset. It's not about GDP, you know, uh, and all of that. The issue is that if you don't lift the number of people out of poverty, a certain number of people out of poverty, you are always going to be having problems. So I think the, the mindset needs to be changed. In, in, I believe leadership starts from being candid and being truthful. If you want to solve a problem, you have to be truthful about it. And the truth about it is we have a situation where our economy is not creating the right conditions for us to lift more people out of poverty. That's the first mindset. The second mindset I think is very obvious is that we have to find a way to attract more investments into this economy. If we are not attracting investment into the economy, we're just not going to grow the economy. It's a simple economic and common sense principle that we need to attract more local, more foreign investments into the economy. We attract those investments, they translate into productive activity, they create wealth, they create jobs, they have a multiplier effect on the economy. If we're not doing that, if we're not creating the right conditions to attract investment into our economy, then it shouldn't surprise us that we're entering a recession. So I think for me, that's more like the adaptive mindset that needs to shift in terms of how we manage our government, our, our economy, which is really about how do we ensure that we create an environment where we can attract investments. Government should not see itself as a concentration of power and authority. If you look at the GDP equation, government expenditure is less than 10%. So the rest of it is really private sector driven. And if you're not attracting investments, you have a problem. So I think fundamentally, we need to go to the basics. Number one, um, we've got a problem. We have a human development indices in the index problem. 
if we do not improve the living conditions in our environment, if we do not create an environment where we lift more people out of poverty, it shouldn't surprise us that we have uh, security issues, unemployment issues. So, so that's one, and it means we need to have a different mindset and need to be truthful about the situation that we're in. And number two, we need to create a more investment-friendly environment. The government needs to position itself, not as the concentration of power and authority, like I said, but as an enabler to attract more investment into our economy. If we don't deal with these two things, um, then you know it shouldn't surprise us if we if we remain in recession. Thank you very much, Mike. And you know, I'm an, I'm an, I studied economics, so uh, you tell me you're not an economist, you, but you delve into the macro macroeconomics. Talk about um, GDP. Talk about GDP per capita. Talk about GDP contributors. Talk about the multiplier effects. Talk about poverty lines. Yeah, you're talking about uh, macroeconomics, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so whether we're conscious of it or not, success or failure in life is a summation of the choices we make and the decisions we take. Uh, when we make a choice, we forego uh, consequences of alternatives. And that is what economists refer to as the opportunity cost. Uh, because man is finite, we choose to either invest or not to invest. Uh, we choose to either attend to this or attend to that, uh, push forward or pull back, say yes or say no. Uh, someone said that uh, successful people uh, make right decisions early and manage those decisions daily. Um, of course, all you need are a few bad decisions to wreck your life. Uh, could you tell me uh, of a time when you had to make a difficult decision which you knew its outcome had the potential to either make or mar you? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, so in the course of my career, I think I can think of one um, where my job was probably at risk. <laughs> um, in the course of my career, um, about... 12 years or so ago, um, while I was sales director in MTN Nigeria. We had a, a big problem in, in, the, com in, the, in the business. Um, we were managing our dealers, our trade partners, we called um, otherwise known as dealers. They sell the products of the company, the airtime and sim packs and the like. Um, and we, we, we saw that there was a problem. There were several problems in the sense that the dealers were buying our products, selling into the market, but it was in a very uncoordinated way. Um, they were giving away a lot of their margins to the sub-dealers and the retailers, and they were making less and less money. And what we started seeing was that the banks were now becoming a bit more, a bit reluctant to, to form them. And um, this started creating a problem, even though it wasn't a crisis at the time, but it was clear to us in the team that if we did nothing about it, it would get to a point where our dealers will grind into unprofitability, banks are not funding, 
and it would directly impact the business because um, a lot of what is used is dependent on what you push through the channel. And these were the guys who were buying the products from the channel. So I had a great team um, at, the, at the time, as, um, a lot of great guys who were in the team. So we all sat down and we realized we needed to do something, you know, transformational. Um, at the same time, the dealers, the feedback we were getting for the dealers were they were very uncomfortable with the company. Um, there was a particular survey we did and the results were so bad that I couldn't sleep that night because it was like, hey, if your people who buy products from you feel so badly about the company, um, then we have a big problem. So we decided that we needed to change the model, but we needed to do it in a way that achieved the objective of everybody, a win-win situation. Whereby we're able to make sure the dealers start getting more profitable. Um, the company makes more money because we're able to make, ensure their profitability and the banks are able to fund the business because that way it increases the cycle and we just grow our, our sales and attendantly our revenues. So we started a process which took a bit of time. Um, I got in one of the established uh, consulting firms to help us. And we thought through recreating a model where we delineated the country into territories. And we made sure that we, unlike before where they sold into every territory, and this was more structured. So we put them on targets and we tied them to a particular territory such that we ensure that the network capacity is able to support the sales that they're able to make. Uh, but we had to demonstrate to them that they will make more money in the process. And we had to put systems in place such that their sales will now be automated and systematized. And that way the banks will now have confidence that they can monitor their finances and make sure that they can keep their retained profits so they can pay their loans. And with that, the banks are now able to fund the project. So we had a long discussion. We got everybody involved, a lot of stakeholder engagements, engaged with the staff to see how it will work. Um, a long discussion. Bottom line was um, we had to make it work. But the challenge was that the risk we took, and this is the first time I'm going to talk about this publicly. I don't know if some of my former staff were here because you know how changes, changes. Why will I leave what I have if you're not offering me something else? So we had to make a commitment on a new commission structure before we got the approval in the company um, because that was the only way to make sure the project would go and for us to get the buying of the dealers because if we didn't get the buying it would not have worked and then three months before the project we couldn't get the cfo to approve approve the new commission structure and um, that became a big problem because um, if you didn't approve the structure and if even though i was an executive but if it came out that we had made a commitment to external parties even though for the good of the business um that would be a problem. Um, so I had two other colleagues who came to my office every morning and kept on telling me, oh God, they are going to sack us if we don't convince the CFO. And I learned another lesson talking to the CFO. We sat down with the CFO and we realized that we were, we were not speaking the right language. You have to, in managing stakeholders, you have to target the message for the audience. Um, when you are engaging with people, you have to speak to what is most important to them. So like I said, for the banks, we engage them on what this would do for their business. 
the dealers we did. So I had to go and sit with my CFO and I realized that we were communicating the wrong way. We were telling him how much sales we were going to grow the business with. We were showing him that we're going to grow the business by 20%, 25%. And the CFO did not believe a word of what we were saying. So we had to change the conversation to show him how much savings we're going to give to the business in the medium to long term. And that was when we got his buying. And then he approved the project, they approved the new commission structure, um, and then we were able to roll out. Um, the project was a massive success. Um, in one quarter, to the credit of the whole team, we grew the business by about 20, 25% in, in the last quarter of 2008. Um, that model became an industry model, not just in Nigeria, but also across the MTN group. Um, and that model actually propelled the growth of the business for the next couple of years. Um, at least in the three years of that period, the business grew at its fastest rate at about 25% uh, per annum on average. So it was a massive success, um, but there were serious risks. Uh, we, had to, we had to stick out our neck um, because certain commitments needed to be made. Um, and um, sometimes I remember if, if it didn't work, if we were not able to convince the CEO and the CFO, um, we probably may not have been having this discussion now because I probably would have been fired at that time. <laughs> so a lot of lessons from that, I, I think you can take. Um, obviously the lesson about being audacious um, and being audacious in terms of being confident in your abilities. I and my team were confident we could do it. It required a lot of changes that had never been done before, but we were audacious and we made it happen. Um, and it also shows that when as leaders, you take risks in quotes and you are able to deliver quantifiable value to the business, um, you get noticed. So when, when we did that project, we got an award from the group. I had an opportunity to present to all my colleagues in the whole group about what we did in Nigeria. And um, I was very sure within a year or so, when the next CEO appointments came, I was one of them. So I can say that it gives you visibility, but you need to be rigorous about it. We were not doing it because we wanted to be promoted. We did it because we believed in it. Um, we thought that was the right thing to do. We trusted ourselves. Um, and we drove it, and we drove it aggressively. And, and one other key learning is you have to manage stakeholders. You have to sell the value to everybody. We sold the bar value to the dealers, to the banks. We even sold it to our staff. Uh, we sold it to the rest of the company. We sold it to everybody. We had to make sure that there was a buy-in. And in doing that, it took longer than we would have liked. But at the end of the day, we took on everybody's views and we made sure it was a win-win, win-win for everybody. Wow. <laughs> That's some, uh, some guts there. <laughs> so, uh, so so, tell me, was there was there any fallback option, i.e. Um, was there any um, mitigations you put in place um, if the CFO had said no? Was that you know, automatically you guys were out of job? <laughs> uh, well, what we had done 
one of the mitigations we put in place was we had sold the concept to the CEO. And he liked, he, he could connect with what we were trying to do. He could connect with it. So the fallback was if we got to a point where the CFO um, doesn't approve, then we'll go back to the CEO. And this is not a new thing to him. We had already sold the concept to him. So we knew at least um, we, we may be able to have kept our jobs. So that was one of the things we did to make sure that um, we were able to, to do that. And then, of course, because of the fact that we had socialized the concept across the business, um, we had a lot of stakeholders. So everybody could see the value of push came to shop. Um, then we're going to sit in an executive committee and I'm sure I could count on the support of everybody. And I'm sure we would have muscled the CFO who was the only obstacle to achieving the objective. So that's what we try to do to, to protect ourselves, so to speak. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike, for giving us uh, such, such a, a story and such perspective. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this conversation. Uh, but before we wrap it up, I'd just like to ask you, is there anything on your mind, anything in your heart uh, that you would like to say? Please uh, go ahead and do that. Okay. Um, look, I, I think one thing I would like to talk a bit about is, is leadership. Um, in the in the in the business I do now, I run a. I'm, you've seen my profile. I run a company, Africa Context Advisory Partners. We advise businesses. Um, so we advise them on business management and growth principles to enable them grow their businesses. Of course, leveraging from a lot of the knowledge and experience I've had in, in my in my previous experience and in, in running large organizations in Africa. One of the things that I've seen um, over time, a lot clearer now that I'm advising and consulting for businesses than when I was in, in, in a paid employment, is how important it is to get the right kind of leaders. Um, I, I think I said it earlier on. I think leadership is the backbone of society. And a lot of what I see is I see leaders sometimes struggling with expectations. Um, either the organizations have not prepared them well enough or um, they're just overwhelmed. And one of the things I try to do is, um, in a few of the gentlemen and ladies I mentor, um, which I do, by the way, something I stumbled on, it's not something I set out to do. But we realized that in the course of advising business, you need to equip the leaders. We need to advise the leaders. And one of the things I've tried to share with a lot of the leaders that helped me is the fact that as a leader, you must have a purpose. You must have a purpose. Um, purpose is not just for an organization. Um, and by the way, a lot of organizations don't have purpose, um, which is really the why of why do you exist. I try to encourage leaders that you need to have a best propels you on what are you in this for? What is it that drives you in what you're doing? If you don't have that, because leadership is tough, business is tough, running a business is tough. 
there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. If you are not grounded in a purpose, um, you are going to be buffeted by winds, and sometimes some people can't stand. And I'll give you a quick example of what I did. Um, and this is something that I don't necessarily share, but I was very fortunate in my career. I spent the first six years, I was a lawyer, by I was practicing law. I realized I wasn't cut out for that. Um, so I, I got a job to work in the NCC. NCC is the telecom regulator today. So I was part of the pioneer legal team in NCC and I stayed there for six years. And in that time, I just, I, I, it was clear to me that I was walking into a new industry. I was very fortunate. And after spending time in NCC, I moved into MTN. I spent 14 years there. And again, I was fortunate to rise to, the, to, 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 to run two of their largest operations. So I had an opportunity of being part of an industry and watching it grow. And I can tell you that from the very beginning when I walked into this industry, I developed a purpose. And my purpose was, I want to be part of this exciting industry. I want to be part of this industry that is enabling lives, that is creating social economic growth across Nigeria and across Africa. That was the purpose that grounded me. So even in all the positions, in director, a CEO, and they were tough, tough times. Um, what kept me grounded was not an award or the accolades or, or the perks of the office. What kept me really grounded was the fact that I was, being, I was part of something so transformational and something so exciting. I, I think that that's what seems to be missing when I speak to a lot of leaders. You, you have to find something that grounds you. It can't be that you're doing all of this. Um, and, I mean, by all means, you must get paid and well paid too, but that can't be the only reason why you're doing it. So I think that for leaders, we need to have purpose. We need to find that thing that grind, grounds us, that thing that, that provides the foundation for who we are and what we represent and what drives us. I think that's key. And the second thing that I think is important is presence. Just having the presence of mind. Um, again, from my personal example, there was never one day, and I can you can ask my wife, Akin, you know my wife very well. There was never one day I told my wife, hey, I want to be CEO of this or CEO of that. I was just walking, it was a daily grind. Going every day and giving your best. Going every day and giving your best. I think that is important because the more you go in and the more you give your best, your best becomes obvious and you'll be tapped upon for bigger opportunities. I see a lot of leaders spending a lot of time. Um, I have nothing about, about against visioning of where you want to be, but visions are nice. What is more important is you need to walk it to life. So I think it's something that I, I share with leaders and I thought it was important for this platform. Leaders need to be grounded in purpose um, and they need to have presence in what they do every day. So that's some of the things I wanted to get off my chest. 